Welcome to the Pacific Keep Church Podcast. We believe everyone has a place in God's story. On this podcast, you will hear sermons, interviews, and other content from our pastors and community leaders at our church in Spokane, Washington. If you are blessed by this podcast and want to learn more about us, you can visit us on our website at pacifickeep.com. Additionally, if you want to support our work financially, you can give at pacifickeep.com forward slash give. Without further ado, here is this week's content. Thank you, Matt. All right. Thank you, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to Pacific Keep Church. Thank you for being with us this morning. Uh, I am going to be preaching this morning. Uh, I'm going to continue on our uh, sermon series in the Gospel of John. So uh, last week and the week prior, we spoke about the woman at the well. Jesus approaches a Samaritan woman, a foreign woman, a woman from a completely different cultural, ethnic, linguistic, religious background from him. And he approaches her with compassion, with grace, and with truth. And we continue on in that, that same vein. After Boris preaching about this for a couple weeks, uh, we turn to a story about a man who approaches Jesus, whose wife, or whose son, is, is very, very ill. He approaches Jesus asking for Jesus to do something for his son. And we're going to hear that scripture now. So I'm going to invite Lindsay up, and she's going to read some scripture passages uh, for us today. And I'm going to invite you to participate in hearing the scripture through prayer. So, uh, Lindsay, if you would, please. This is from John 4, verse 46 through 54, if you want to follow along. It says, So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus had spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he had began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when, he, when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. The first question that should come to our minds when we read this passage is what is Jesus doing in Galilee? Isn't Jesus supposed to be going down to Jerusalem? Isn't Jesus supposed to be speaking his message as loud and as clearly as he can? Isn't he supposed to be preaching to the people who most need to hear it, the people in Jerusalem, in the crown jewel of God's kingdom, 
in the most important place. And yet, where does Jesus go? To an unimportant place. To unimportant people. To a place like Spokane. <laughs> right? No, I'm just kidding. Right. Yeah. He preaches not in the large arenas, right? He comes and he preaches on stage at Pacific Keep Church. He comes and he preaches in small places, in outside places. The first person in the Gospel of John, he fully reveals himself to, a Samaritan woman, an enemy, an outsider. I invite you to pray. For the next minute, we're going to consider this. What does it mean that Jesus comes to the outsider? Have you ever felt like you are an outsider to God? Who do you know that may be outside of what you might think God's kingdom is? Do you know outsiders? What does it mean that Jesus loves them? That Jesus actually goes first to them? Let's pray. When we consider that Jesus goes to the outsider, this is part, not just of his ministry. This is not just Jesus' job. This isn't Jesus' feelings. This is the will of God. It was proclaimed by the prophets that this is what Jesus would do, that he would go to the outsider, that the Messiah was not for Israel's glory. It wasn't for the nation to be built up. It wasn't for the king. It was for God. It was for God and his people. When they felt pride about their national identity, they felt pride about their power, their influence. Jesus comes and he ministers to those without power, to those without influence. This is what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. We read from the Gospel of Matthew. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven comes to some of the smallest tribes of Israel. Zebulun, Naphtali. What does it mean? I invite you to pray about this. That Jesus' idea of what power and authority means are different than what the world, the news, social media tells us that power and authority are. What does that mean for you? How does Jesus' power and authority, and his idea of what that means, differ from what we are told and taught to believe? Let's pray. So we think about the outsider. So we think about the authority of God, his interests, we move to the central question of this story. An official 
comes to Jesus, an official, with the right clothes and the right title, an official in a suit, nonetheless, with an entourage, a group following him, an important person with a serious problem, comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, me, important person, my son is dying. Do you think Jesus would care about that? Yes, because he made the important person. He made his son. Of course he cares about it. But what is it that the important person expects Jesus to do? To immediately come with him. To drop everything that he's doing. To leave Zebulun and Naphtali, the land of Galilee. To leave the outsider to help the insider. To help the important person because he is what? Important. This is how that exchange goes in Scripture. If you remember, it said, So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go. Jesus turns his expectations around. He says, I don't need to go with you. You need to go with me. Where in our lives may we be tempted like this official to ask God to go our way, thinking that we're the important person rather than going God's way? Where might God be asking us to go his way? Where may we be asking him to come our way? I invite you to pray. You know, when somebody comes into our lives with information that challenges what we believe, we are slow to believe them, right? We trust what we believe. We trust what we think. Of course, I mean, I think it. Remember how important I am. My thoughts matter, and they're well-formed. They've been formed for as long as I've been thinking. Yet God places our thoughts places our hearts. He thought of you before you were even a thought, as it says in Psalms 139. We are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. He cares for us. He knows our inward workings, our inward thoughts. He knows them. And we think we know better. Many people do. We often put ourselves in the place of thinking better than what God thinks. But he has a different plan. He has a different way of being. He comes to challenge our beliefs. He comes to change our beliefs. He comes to heal our mistaken beliefs. When the man comes to Jesus and says, my son will die, Of course he cares about his son living or dying, but he cares much more about him spiritually living or dying. He cares much more 
that he believes than that he lives. Because to live in a false belief is no life at all. To live without Jesus is not to live. It doesn't matter if he continues to live if he does not believe. So Jesus comes to him, and he encourages not just this official's son. He encourages the official, you need to believe. You need to trust in my power, in my authority. How does this story end? Lindsay will tell us exactly how it ends. The scripture says, Jesus told him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. In that other passage, when Jesus goes to Galilee and Naphtali, it says that when he preaches, he preaches repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Rethink, this is what repent means. Change belief. Believe in Jesus and his way, not in your way, in our way, in the way that was handed to you. It may not be your fault at all that you believe what you believe, that you've been forced to accept what you've been forced to accept. But Jesus won't stand for that. He intervenes to change our beliefs and to reveal what is really true. I invite you to think, to consider, to pray. What have I believed that just is not true? Where does Jesus enter into the picture to challenge my belief? How might Jesus heal my unbelief? Let's pray. A similar story is told to this one in the Gospel of Mark. In the Gospel of Mark, a man comes to Jesus desperate. He says, my son is throwing himself into fire. Help me. And the son is doing things that are harmful to himself. Why? We don't know. Under the compulsion of an evil spirit, says the scripture. Here's how this exchange goes. Mark chapter 9. Jesus says to the man, with the son who is harming himself. He says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Again, Jesus is challenging our belief. He's not challenging the way that we live, the things that we do, the place that we worship, the clothes that we wear when we worship. No. He challenges our belief. Immediately the father of the child cries out, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. This is a prayer of righteousness. This is a prayer that you can pray at any time of your day or your life. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. It is the thing that Jesus wants to heal. It is the area that Jesus wants to meet you. It is the place of humility 
that God can work in your life. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help me to see with new eyes. Help me to believe with a clear mind. Help me to live differently. And Jesus will give us the example. As we come to him in prayer, as we come to him in scripture, we find and discover more of how he sees, how he thinks, the way that he walks, and it teaches us. If you pray, Lord, help me with my unbelief, what is that area in which you need help right now? Because trust me, if you're walking with God or not walking with God at all, you'll need help to believe in Jesus. You'll need his help. You will need his encouragement. You will need to see things. You will need to learn to see things. And so I ask you to pray, Lord, help me in this area that I need help. Find it in yourself. Where is it? Let's pray. If sitting in this much silence is uncomfortable for you, if you've found this hard to pray, regular intervals. That's okay. It's unnatural. In fact, the enemy would like us to do the exact opposite. So much of our lives, think about this, how much of your life has quiet spaces? Not very much, right? Especially if you have kids, amen? If you have a job, if you have a boyfriend or girlfriend, if you have family obligations, if you volunteer at church in two, three, or four ministries, looking at some people here, you may not have many quiet spaces in your life. It's in the quiet spaces that Jesus works. This official comes to Jesus, proud of his clothes, his title, his work. He says, look at all of this incredible work that I have done. But it doesn't mean anything to Jesus. Not because his work is unimportant or because he is unimportant. In fact, he has the exact same importance as everybody else. What he has done is lifted himself up. But we know this that God exalts the humble and humbles the exalted. God asks us to come to him in quiet, not in business busyness, in all of our activity and our worry. He invites us to come with that activity and worry. Say, Jesus, help me. Pastorally, what does this mean? What are our implications? What can we learn from this official? The first that I urge all of you is to slow down, to find space, to sit with Jesus, If this is the most time you have spent in prayer in a while, maybe. Let that challenge you. Can I take a minute? Two minutes? Three minutes? Can I ask the deep questions of myself? Do you know what Jesus does before he starts his ministry? He sits in the desert for 40 days. And he fights the devil in quiet. 
is in this place that our beliefs are challenged, in quiet places. One of my favorite quotes of all of Western history is Blaise Pascal. He said, if a man could sit on his bed for 20 minutes and do nothing else but think there would be no conflict. If every man could think for 20 minutes. Of course, Place Pascal was writing in a time when that meant men and women. So you all need time to think and sit, be quiet, and be before God. I urge you to slow down the pace of your life, to let Jesus heal what needs healing in your life. It's the lies that we are forced to believe at the pace of our culture, at the news, by the gospel that is spread throughout the world that is a false gospel, that power and authority are what matter, that achievement is what matters, that how you look is what matters. That how you look to other people is what matters. That what other people say about you is what matters. It is not. What matters is that we commune with Jesus and hear truly who we were made to be and what he wills for the world. That the outsider be brought in. That those of lowly power and authority be brought up. That nobody perish. Not that they just have temporal life, earthly life, but eternal life in Christ. That is what Jesus cares about. I invite you all to pray with us as we take communion today. When we take communion, we celebrate Jesus' body broken for us, which represents all of the struggle that we face in this life the struggle against the powers and principalities of this world, those broke Jesus' body. Broke it. And we celebrate that. And we recognize that Jesus understands all of the pain that we feel. That he has experienced all of the pain that we feel. And then we drink the wine, which celebrates the spilling of his blood for our salvation, that he would give everything for you, that he gave it all on the cross, that he gives it all eternally for us to experience not just temporary feel good, but eternal life in Christ. So as we celebrate, I invite uh, Brother Vadim, I invite Brother Max to come forward and, and serve the elements for us. And I will uh, read, as Paul did, to the first believers in Corinth. Paul said this when they celebrated communion. And so I share it to you 2,000 years later. I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. These are Jesus' words. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And church, he is coming again. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to the Pacific Keep Church podcast. If you've been blessed by our ministry, you can learn more, follow along, or give at pacifickeep.com. Go with grace and peace.